Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, luckiest man in the world, and delighted to uh, have you in worship this morning. All of you in Cafe Worship, anybody joining us by way of audio or video podcast, we love you, and uh, we are honored by the fact that you found us and are worshiping with us. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, a single verse from Scripture. Yeah, we're going to get that one way or the other. <laughs> Romans 10, verse 9. Starting a new sermon series today entitled Simple. And so far, nothing today has been simple. Uh, simple is the name of the series. We tend to make the Christian life very, very complicated. I don't know why. But in the coming weeks, I want us to get back to simple. Just back to simple. Uh, just so you know, the sermon series is informed and inspired by a book by a very fine pastor down in Nashville named uh, Robert Morgan. He's pastor of Donaldson Fellowship. He's a great man and a great pastor. And this particular book is called Guest. Simple. Yeah, it's called Simple. And it, it's fantastic. We have that book available. If any of you are interested in that book, either to have for yourself or to give away. Here at Woodburn Baptist Church, we give a copy of Simple to new believers so that they can start out knowing the basic, simple uh, aspects of the Christian life. So if you're interested in that, we'd love to I hope you get a copy of that in your hands. If you're following along with the live event on Uversion this morning, I've also included a link to Amazon if you want to purchase that book for yourself. But it's Robert J. Morgan. The book is called Simple. The sermon series is called Simple. So let's, uh, let's try to make things plain. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, a man and woman that lived out Three Springs Road here in Woodburn. They were uh, Josephine and Fred Ford. Some of you will know them. Many of you won't know them. They were a very, very simple uh, farm couple. They never had children. They lived right there on Three Springs Road. Uh, they were um, quiet and uh, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. You just have to know them. They didn't go to town for much, kind of like my grandparents. They, they, they didn't ever really go to town except for the grocery maybe once every couple of weeks. They raised most of their food. They lived uh, very independently there on Three Springs Road. Uh, all of that changed, however, when both— uh, both Josephine and Fred got sick at the same time. They both were diagnosed with lung cancer at the very same time. And it was really devastating for them. And again, they didn't really have children. So at that point, their life changed quite a bit. They had frequent trips to the doctor, frequent trips into town nearly every day, and then long hospital stays where they would be there. It was really difficult on them uh, in a lot of ways. But one day in particular, I was waiting with Fred while Josephine was having surgery. And again, Fred was skinny as a rail, uh, always wore work clothes, and again, just hadn't really been uh, in town, in the world like, like most of us have. We sat all morning long, and then Fred said, uh, uh, Brother Tim, I'm starting to feel a little hungry. I think I need to get something to eat. He said, is there, is there a place here at the hospital where we might uh, just get a sandwich? I said, well, they have a cafeteria, but they also have a Subway. You know, Subway is the, the sandwich restaurant. I said, they have a Subway right up the hall. We could walk right up there to the, to the Subway. That's a sandwich place and just get a sandwich. Fred said, that sounds good. So I walk with Fred down the hall real slow. We get to Subway in the hospital, the Subway restaurant. Y'all know Subway only sells one thing, and that would be sandwiches. Yeah, it should be simple. So we walked up to the counter, and Fred stood there, and he stood there very, very quietly and politely in the you know, the 10-year-old sandwich artist said, uh, how may I help you? And Fred said, I would like a sandwich. To which the 10-year-old sandwich artist replied, what kind of sandwich would you like? Fred said, well, what kind of sandwich do you have? Y'all been to Subway? <laughs> so then the kid said, let me make it simple. That's what he said, which is hilarious. So let me just make it simple. 
sir, what kind of bread would you like? Fred said, sandwich bread. <laughs> sandwich bread. And then the kid starts going over all of the types of bread. And, you know, so we have every kind of bread in the world. And poor Fred, just I know at this point Fred's just thinking, forget it. Uh, and we haven't gotten past bread, you understand? Uh, I, I, I explained, just give him one of those little sandwich rolls like they put in the kid's meal. I thought Fred would recognize that before, you know, the Asiago cheese or whatever. You know, just give him the roll. So then, um, so what kind of meat would you like, sir? Fred said, what do you have? I mean, you know, worst question was, what do you have? Well, you know, 50 kinds of meat, you know, and, and finally I just said, uh, do you have ham? Give him ham. I mean, it took us like, you know, like 12 minutes to get a plain ham sandwich on sandwich bread, you know, with mustard. When they handed it to Fred in the little plastic bag, I could tell he was so not hungry. And honestly, Josephine was out of surgery. But by the time we got his sandwich, Josephine was out of surgery and he never ate it. He wasn't even hungry. Next day, I saw Fred. He came at me. I said, Fred, how are you doing this morning? He said, I'm good today. I got my lunch right here. <laughs> yeah, little bitty pack of crackers. I, I'm telling you, he was never going back through, through, through that again. You know, it shouldn't be so hard to get a sandwich from a store that only sells sandwiches. You, you understand? We live in a culture that manages to overcomplicate everything. I guess some of us like that. We like having a lot of options. We like thinking that our options are open. But honestly, simplicity has this tendency to narrow our choices, but also make our lives much more simple. Isn't that the point? The Christian life should be simple. It is simple. God made it simple. I feel sorry for the people who come into a church like Woodburn Baptist Church looking for Jesus. We've really only got one job. Remember, we talked about that last week. And we really only have one name to lift up. It will be the name of Jesus. But sometimes I wonder what it's like to come into church. And if all you're looking for is Jesus, I wonder if you could find him in the incredible menu of options we offer at a church like ours. And we try to be faithful to Jesus. So let's get back to simple. In the next four weeks, I want us to come back to the basic elements of the Christian life. I want to make it as plain and simple as I can. And I'm not very good at that. I apologize. My brain is a tangled web of questions and ideas, and I tend to unload a lot of that way too often. I really want to make this as simple and plain as the Bible makes it simple and plain. So for that reason, we go straight to Scripture this morning to, to talk about salvation, it's simply to talk about salvation. And with that, a single verse from Romans 10, verse 9. We've been working on it this morning. I'm, I'm, let me read it from the New Living translation. The words are slightly different from what you've been practicing. Don't let that blow your mind. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that's simple. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's, a, it's an if-then kind of statement, if, so there, there's something you must do to be saved. Understand that? You're not saved when you're born. You're not saved because you go to church. But if you confess and if you believe, two things, if you confess and believe, you will be saved. Let's start with the word confess because that's not, for some of us, a simple 
simple word, confess. It literally means to agree with or, or, or to say the same thing, to, to say the same thing. So what it is you're supposed to agree or, or say is something to do with Jesus. Everything goes back to Jesus. You understand? Your salvation has everything to do with Jesus. So focus on Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So the question becomes, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And you must come to some acknowledgement of who Jesus is. This is what I want to say. You must realize first who Jesus is, and the Scripture says Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You must realize who he is and then decide who he is to you because those are two separate steps. Lots of people believe something about Jesus. They would probably say that Jesus is God. They would probably say that they believe that Jesus came to earth and that he died on the cross for sins and all of that. But it's one thing to know who Jesus is. It's another thing to decide who he's going to be to you. And that is the decision that salvation requires. At some point, you must make a decision. Some of you, although you've been in church for years and years and years and years, this is the simple skip step that you've tried to skip. You've never really made a decision. You have a whole lot of ideas, maybe all of them true, about who Jesus is, but you've never made a decision about what this means to you. So when the scripture says you must confess with your mouth, openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that there's something to that. It's not just that you believe that he is Lord out there, that he's Lord of the universe, which he is, but who's he going to be to you? What is the difference that this makes in your life? Salvation is simple and salvation is personal. You must make a decision. Realize who Jesus is, decide who Jesus is to you, then begin expressing this new relationship. That is what it means to be saved. Realize who Jesus is, decide who Jesus is to you, then begin expressing this new relationship. It's a new relationship. If you decide that Jesus is going to be the Lord of your life, if he's going to be your personal Savior, then that changes everything. You enter into a new relationship with Christ himself, and you begin expressing this new relationship because you will not be the same person. You understand? So you begin expressing this new relationship. So the scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's confession, but it's also believing. Let's talk a little bit about that. You don't have to know a whole lot to become a Christian. You don't have to know a whole lot. That is why often in in churches like Woodburn, when we raise our children in the faith and good godly parents are teaching their children from day one, you'll often see young children sometimes come to Christ. Now, we, we try to be very careful at Woodburn. In this church family, we try to make sure that children are making the, the best decision they can, led by the Holy Spirit in a proper time. We're not in a big hurry to see kids run through the baptistry. Let's make that clear. Because salvation is very, very serious. But you don't have to know a whole lot. It, it is something that a, a, a child can, can understand. The gospel is that simple. So there's not a whole lot that you have to know, but there are a few things that you have to believe. Understand? You have to believe something. You must believe something. And what exactly does the scripture say? Go back to the verse, Margie. Can you do that for me, please? Uh, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. 
That's pretty simple. God raised him from the dead. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So honestly, what it all comes down to is, is, is about Jesus, his, his death, he died, but also that he raised his death and resurrection. In order to become a Christian, you must believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and I guess by extension, that, that his death and resurrection has the power to save you. But it comes down to Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. It's, it's that simple. There's no more than that that you have to believe. Now, there's more in the Bible, and there's more that you will learn as you walk in Christ, but we're not talking about down the road. We're talking about the first step. And your first step of belief is simply to believe that Jesus died and was raised again. You believe in the resurrection. That is the essential belief. That's what Romans 10.9 says. So when somebody says, you know, I don't know if I could be a Christian because, because I like science and I really think I believe in evolution. Well, this doesn't say a word about creation and evolution. You understand? You don't have to believe anything about evolution or creation in order to become a Christian. Because you must believe that God raised him from the dead. That, that's all. That's the simple gospel. Don't start adding to it. I don't think I could be a Christian, you know, because I've got gay friends and I have some really strong convictions about, about homosexuality. It doesn't say a word about homosexuality, you understand? Not a word. So don't start adding to the gospel. You can't do that. Well, well, well Brother Tim, that sounds simple, you know, but, but, but you know, I, I, like a, I like a church that goes a little deeper. I like a church, you know, that, that has a whole lot more to say. I, I want a church with a particular kind of theology. Yeah, you do that, but, but this is the simple gospel. Understand, you don't get to add all your extra theology to people in step one. Y'all with me? It's rather simple. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I know that scares some church people because they're thinking, my goodness, that's not a whole lot to believe, Brother Tim. You can't have people believe in everything and anything. No, no, no. We don't want people believe in everything and anything, but we do want people believing that God raised him from the dead. Let's be really, really clear about what you have to believe before we get into all the other things that we may or may not disagree on. You understand? We cannot disagree on this. God raised him from the dead. Back in my seminary days, I did a, I was an artist in residence at a, at a very liberal seminary in Washington, D.C. I had a very good experience there, but it was very liberal seminary. And at the time, Southern Seminary in Louisville, where I was attending, I was actually a student at Southern. Southern was going through a, a really horrible and, and, and just terrible time of, of, of political and theological realignment. And, and there were a lot of professors losing their jobs because they were called liberal. Well, the thing was, I'm in an actual liberal seminary talking about a seminary that's actually very conservative. That, that's the thing. Baptists don't have a lot of liberals. We never have. We fight and we sometimes paint people in certain ways, but we've never had a whole lot of liberals. I'm in a seminary where everybody's liberal, understand? So one of the professors was standing there talking to me. He said, can you tell me what's going on at Southern Seminary? I said, well, you know, trying to make a long story short, there are some professors, you know, kind of losing their job because they're called liberal. And, and, and we mentioned one professor in particular who was losing his job because he was called liberal. And this actual liberal professor in Washington, D.C. said, He's losing his job for being liberal. He believes in the resurrection. Isn't that funny? 
I mean, this was an actual liberal who didn't believe in the resurrection, understand? I mean, an actual liberal, but he had, had enough clarity to say, how, how is he liberal? He, he believes in the resurrection. I mean, he sort of understood what it is that a person has to believe. It's the resurrection. That is the, the one belief that we can't give up or give away. But, but understand, when it comes to telling people what they must do to be saved, you don't add to that. You don't add to it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be saved. It's a personal matter. It's a, it's a heart matter. It involves some sort of expression. Sooner or later, you're going to express this matter of your heart, this new faith of yours. It usually starts with a prayer. So if you're wondering today, how would I be saved? Well, it starts here. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the the dead, do you believe who Jesus is? Do you believe he's who he said he was? Are you ready to make a decision that, that who Jesus is makes a difference in your life? Are you ready to recognize that Jesus' Jesus's death and resurrection has power to forgive your sins? Are, are, are you ready to, to make that step of faith? Because if you are, the next step will be to express that somehow, to, to express that. You can't always just keep that a, a personal, private matter. There's some expression that seems to be required. Most people start out with a prayer. You probably just want a prayer, and that's, that's a prayer. Prayers of conversation between you and God. And that's not necessarily a prayer out loud or in front of people. But it's probably some prayer where you acknowledge who Jesus is. You acknowledge him to his face. You talk to him, and you thank him for the gift of salvation. You express your faith in him and, and just ask. Ask to receive the gift of salvation. That There, there are no magic words. There is no particular prayer where you repeat these words and, and, and then that, that makes it happen. It's not that at all. It's, it's more simply a matter of confessing and believing. And, and, and then you're saved. You, you will be saved. Make sense? The, the next step. Uh, the, the next step is baptism. And this is one of the areas that we tend to make very, very complicated. The very first thing that a new believer should do is be baptized. Baptism does not save a person. It's not going through the water that makes you a Christian. We have water in the tank today. If I believe that just going through that water would save you all, I would, if you walk close, I'd push you in. Understand? It's not the water. It's the faith. It's the believing in your heart. You understand? But once you have expressed that faith in Jesus, the very first thing that should happen is that you should be baptized. It doesn't, when I say first thing, I mean, you can eat lunch uh, you, you can perhaps schedule that. I'm not saying that that moment, but, but it is, it's the next step for you. Be baptized. Be baptized. Baptism is a, a picture, and the New Testament is clear about it. That there's not a lot that's fuzzy about baptism in the New Testament. Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks a lot about what salvation is, and he compares it to, to it's like a death. The old person, the person I was, the person who was uh, addicted, the person who was trapped in sin, that the person who needed Jesus so desperately, that person now is so completely transformed by Christ that I could say that that person's dead. The old me is gone. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, that there's a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. 
So one way of picturing that is, is baptism. If I say that Jesus died for me, then I could also say that, that 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 old me, that old self died with him. So when Jesus died and was buried, I could say that I, I died. The old me, the sinful me died and was buried with him. And when he was raised to life, I raised with him. The life I live now is a brand new life. So, so baptism gives you an opportunity to, to act that out, to show everybody uh, on the outside what Jesus has done on the inside. So as Baptists, we baptize by immersion, which seems to be the New Testament model. It seems to be the way that Paul pictured baptism when he talks about baptism as being buried with Christ and raised to, to walk in new life. And that's exactly the way we picture it. You step into the waters of baptism, you, you confess your faith in Jesus, and then we push you into the water. Whenever I baptize, I say you are buried with Christ in baptism and, and raised to walk in the newness of Christian life. Those are all Paul's words. I didn't make those up. So baptism is a way of, of, of picturing that. Well, Brother Tim, do I have to be baptized to be saved? Well, technically I would say no. I would say no. And I would say no on the basic reason that when Jesus was hanging on the cross next to the thief on the cross who said, will you, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? What did Jesus tell him? Oh, dude, you're, you're so out of luck. Yeah, you see, you'd have to be baptized for that. Did Jesus say that? No. Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. You understand? So obviously it was that thief's faith in Jesus that saved him and took him straight to paradise when he died. So baptism is obviously not essential. At the very same time, unless you're hanging on a cross and not able, it is something that Jesus commands. Jesus didn't make it optional. Jesus tells us as the church to, to baptize people and to be baptized. So it's not an option. It's, it's an ordinance of the church, we call it, which simply means it's something we do because it's commanded us. So baptism is something I do out of obedience. Jesus commands me to be baptized, and that's why I am baptized. Also, the basic principle that Jesus himself was baptized— Jesus went to John the baptizer in the Jordan River, and there Jesus asked to be baptized. So, so make no mistake, Jesus gives us the example of baptism, and Jesus gives us a commandment to be baptized. Now, I don't want to be ugly about this, but, but if you call yourself a Christian, but you don't want to be baptized, you have no desire to follow the example or the commandment of Jesus, I would examine my heart. You understand? I would examine my heart because following Jesus and submitting to his authority is sort of the very definition of calling him your Lord. And so if you're a Christian, but you're just refusing to be baptized, you're being disobedient. And that the casual way in which you can be disobedient to your Lord troubles me. You with me? So baptism is not essential, but it is the first step, and it is a wonderful way to express that obedience and following the example of Jesus who is now your Lord and Savior. Does that make, am I doing okay? Is this simple enough so far? Yeah. So let me talk about one other thing, and this comes down to what it means to be your, your pastor. Because as pastor, most all the people I deal with on, on a day in and day out basis are believers, Christians. But one of the most common issues that you all face, and maybe it's not that way other places, but one of the most common questions that, that our 
congregation struggles with are issues of assurance. In other words, Brother Tim, I think I got saved, but, but I don't always feel saved. I don't know that I'm saved. I, I sometimes worry that I'm not saved. I wouldn't ask you to show your hands, but a whole lot of you live there. It may have been a struggle, a question you've had for years and years and years, but when I do Romans 10, 9 and put it on the screen and say, and say this is all it takes, you would say, I've done that, but I still don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I guess part of the issue when it comes to assurance of salvation is that even though we come to Jesus and he forgives our sins, I mean, that's what the gospel says, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. When I come to him, he forgives my sins. I still sin. Now, my relationship to sin is different. I now follow Jesus, which means I have a very different pattern for my life. And the sin that I used to participate in, sometimes joyfully, now no longer suits me. It is no longer something that I'm comfortable with. Jesus makes me want to live a holy life. Jesus makes me want to be more and more like him. So even though I continue to fail and stumble and sin, I don't wallow around in sin. You understand? I always want to get back up and follow the pattern of Jesus. That's the difference he makes in my life and yours if you're a believer. But that just means that sometimes my sin becomes a heavy burden. I really sometimes feel uh, a guilt and a shame that I probably didn't even feel before I was a Christian because now I really don't want to do these things. I really don't want to be that old man. I, I don't want to be that husband. I don't want to be that guy. But I still sometimes am that guy. And so the question that a person like me or you could start to ask is, you know, can I sin to the point that I lose my salvation? Can, can I sin so badly that, that God just divorces me? That, that becomes the big question. Let me give you a verse for that. It's a verse you know, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his, say the word, grace. God saved you by his grace when you believed remember if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved it happens when you believe and you can't take credit for this it's a gift from god salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done salvation's not a reward for doing good things you were saved when you believed you weren't saved when you proved that you could be a good person you weren't saved when you started coming to church your salvation has nothing to do with anything that you do. You receive it as a gift from God. Understand? So salvation is from start to finish a gift. It's God's work. So no, you cannot sin in such a way to lose your salvation. Do you understand? If you don't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to lose it. Do I need to say that again? If there's nothing you do to earn it, there's nothing you can do to, to lose it. Your salvation is a gift from God from start to finish. So be confident, trust, stop doubting. Now, even when I say that, I, I have to say that I am one of those people who has really struggled with uh, assurance of my salvation, not so much in my adult years, but in my teenage years, I was tied up in knots about this for a long, long time. I really was. And that's why when somebody comes to me all tied up in knots about their salvation, I understand. I get it completely. I know what it is to doubt. 
Back in those days, my pastor showed me this verse from the book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 13, says this, I write these things to you who, say the word, believe, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, say the word, know, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. You don't have to hope, you don't have to wait to find out, you understand, you can know this, you're not supposed to be tied up in knots doubting your salvation. That's not what God intends. You can know. So why don't we know? If it is such a sure thing, if it's something that I can know with such utter assurance, why do so many of us doubt? Let me, let me tell you what I think. This is why I think some of us doubt. Number one. Um, unconfessed sin. I, I said that even as after we're Christian, we, we may continue to sin. We don't want to live in sin. We don't persist in it. We don't walk in it, John would say. But, but we do continue to stumble in sin. When we do, the scripture says we should turn to Jesus immediately. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the scripture says when we sin as believers, we just turn right back around to Jesus and confess that. Once more, we say it, we agree with him about our sin and, and he forgives us. That's the normal Christian life. I, I keep a clean slate before him because I walk with him and he continues to cover me with his grace and forgive me. You understand? But when you don't, keep coming back to Jesus, when you become comfortable in your sin again, when you don't allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, when you begin to walk your own way again, then it becomes very, very difficult to enjoy your salvation. I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but you lose all of the joy and earthly benefits of it. In other words, you may have Christ in your heart, but, but, but you're living a life that does not reflect him. And so therefore, you don't get any of the blessings or confidence or things that Jesus would bring to you if you walked more closely with him. The, the reason that so many of you struggle in your salvation is simply that you don't walk in fellowship with Jesus. You walk in close fellowship with the world, and so you're sort of on this edge. Scripture talks about those who get to heaven one day, but as if by fire, which just means you won't really go to hell, but, but, but you're, you know, kind of like, you know, pants on fire kind of thing. I mean, you're like barely going to make it. And so maybe that's why if you're barely going to make it, maybe that's why you barely feel saved half the time. I mean, I'm not saying that you can barely be saved. I mean, either you are or you aren't. But some of you live on this line, and it's because you continue to walk and live so close to sin that you really haven't allowed Jesus to begin taking control of your life. Now, that is not the normal Christian life, and that's why you don't feel like a normal Christian. This is not normal. You understand? And that's why you doubt, and that's why you struggle. You need to leave your sin and walk with Jesus. You're a believer now. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation, understand? You've got to express that in your life and in your words. The reason that you struggle, some of you, is simply that you live like a heathen. You live like a lost person, so you sometimes think you might be. You understand? So, the bottom line, when you walk with Jesus, you, you do not continue to walk in sin. You need to repent of your sin, come back to Jesus. I'm not saying you get saved again. I'm not saying you need to be saved again. If, if you are a believer and you know that you have put your faith in Jesus at, at some previous moment, you don't get saved again. Jesus was only crucified one time for your sins, you understand? So you don't hang him up there again. 
You don't get saved again, but you probably need to rededicate your life. You need to come back and start over. You understand? Not getting saved again, but you need a fresh start in, in the worst possible way. You need to start fresh. We often call that rededication. Give your life to him in a fresh way. Some of you really need to do that. The second thing I would say is that some of us are confused about our salvation because of poor preaching and poor teaching. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I've been your pastor for 19 years today. 19 years today. And in 19 years, if you're not clear on the fundamentals of faith, if somehow in 19 years I haven't managed to preach salvation clearly enough for you to understand it, then this is partly my fault. And I'll take some blame for that. We as preachers and teachers, we have confused people. Part of it is when you preach the simple gospel, you don't get to sound smart. Understand? If I preach it plain, then you wonder, how come, how come you had to go to seminary for that? You know, I don't get to sound smart. And a lot of us as public preachers and teachers, we want to sound smart. So we add a whole lot to it to show you how many books we read. You don't need a lot of books. You understand? You need Romans 10, 9. So we've confused people. Part of that also comes from the, the churches that only ever preach salvation. I grew up in a church like that, and, and I praise God for pastors who preach salvation very, very well. But they didn't ever tell us what the next step was. They never taught us what it meant to be disciples, what it would mean to learn and grow in Christ. If salvation is like a new birth, then after you're born again, then you grow up. But, but often in churches, you're never instructed in how to grow up, how to become a mature believer. And so everybody remains like babies. And, and if you feel this need to make a fresh commitment to Jesus, all you know to do is get saved again. Some of you have come from churches where people got saved over and over and over because that's all they knew. You understand? There's a whole Christian life on the other side of getting saved. And as preachers and teachers and churches, we need to disciple people so that once they take the first step with the Lord, then they know how to take all the other steps that follow. There's a whole life of following Jesus. And those churches and those preachers who just preach salvation, 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 it, it never helps those who get saved to know how to walk with Jesus. Do you understand? There's a whole Christian life, and there's much to it, and, and we need to help people grow and, and mature as believers. And the third thing I would say is probably the one that relates to me. This is probably why I struggled with doubt. And, uh, and it's kind of simple and weird, and some of you won't get this at all, but... Um, but I struggle with anxiety anyway. I've had panic attacks. I, I can have anxiety attacks. And I don't mean like, I, 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 some of you don't understand what that is. Some of you do. Um, my anxiety means that, that, that sometimes my brain will focus on a negative thought and I can't turn loose of it. Now, now most of you who don't struggle in this way, if you have a negative thought, it sort of flashes across your brain and then it's gone. But those of us who struggle with anxiety, that, that thought gets stuck in our head and we can't turn loose of it. And, and that's how my anxiety affects me. It's not logical. I know that the thought that I'm having isn't true, but I can't still stop worrying. I can't stop thinking about it. 
I guess in some ways it would be related to those of you who struggle like OCD or, or those of you who just think, did I leave the iron on? I think I left the iron on. Right now, my just saying the iron could be on makes some of you start thinking, I think I left it on. I think it could be on. And then you're sitting here in church now, but you're picturing your whole house burning down, you, you know, and you can't stop thinking about it, you know. That, that is an actual medical condition, understand, and, and there's medication that, that's useful with that, and if you need it, take it. Understand that. But, but, but I've learned that there's a spiritual side to that condition for me. And, and that means I can have negative spiritual thoughts that I can't turn loose of either. And at certain seasons of my life, the negative thought I couldn't shake was that, that I wasn't a Christian. That no matter what I would do, I, I somehow never, never could be saved. And, and that was the thought that my brain focused on. It was very, very difficult to release, but understand it was sort of a, um, a probably biochemical, a psychological, maybe I'm just crazy and that's how craziness came out in my spiritual life. But, but I'm just saying some of you struggle with anxiety or OCD and that's going to have a spiritual side to it. And the fact that you worry about not being saved doesn't mean you're not saved understand? You've got to accept and trust Jesus at his word. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Understand? You have to trust him. You have to trust that. And you have to somehow find a way to wrestle those doubts down to the ground. Understand? You know in your mind that that's not true. So you've got to stop letting the lie affect you as if it were true. You understand? That's complicated. I'm only speaking to some of you who get that, but some of you are going to get that. Um, if you struggle in those ways in other parts of your life, there will be a spiritual side to that. I, I guess the last, is this four? Uh, <laughs> I don't keep up. I think it's four. Um, some of you don't feel saved because, honestly, you put way too much stock in feelings. You want your salvation to be, uh, to be feelings. You, you, you want to feel things. You, you want a warm feeling or an excited feeling all of the time. And salvation is not a matter of feelings. It's faith. Understand? It's faith, not feelings. I, I don't guess I always feel saved. But my salvation is not maintained by my ability to keep this feeling of, of, of something. It, it is maintained by jesus himself he keeps me that's what the scripture says all those who come unto me i, I will i will never cast away you understand that that means that that, that god's not going to divorce me jesus isn't going to divorce me so no matter how i feel i'm kept by the power of god i'm kept by his promises my faith is not in my ability to live the christian life or my ability always to think i'm saved or to feel saved or to keep myself out of sin that's not what my salvation is based on my salvation is based upon the promise and the power of jesus and i put my faith completely in him and i trust him I trust him to the point that when my doubts got so severe, I just finally had to say, well, if I'm not saved, ain't nobody in the world saved. Understand? If I'm not, nobody is. You understand? Because my faith is in Jesus and, and not in myself. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, the scripture says. And, and this has nothing to do with you. It's not about your works. It is a gift from God. So nobody can boast about it. You don't have any part in this that you can point to yourself and say, I did this, I made this happen. It is a gift from God for all those who will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. It is that simple. So in this moment, if maybe never until this moment, you've really begun to realize who Jesus is. And maybe not until this moment have you ever made a decision about who he's going to be in your life, or what this means for you personally. And then maybe this is a moment for you. Maybe this is the moment when you, for the very first time, step into the Christian life. It's not complicated. There's nothing more that you have to know or do. There are no hoops to jump through. The Bible says God wants everybody to be saved. So he doesn't make it hard. He made it simple. Simple. But you have to believe. I'm asking you to believe today. Be saved. And be sure.